fountain of grace. We all need that. The Lord's fountain. Um, we're continuing on in Ephesians. Uh, before I get started and we get to the Scripture, I received a note Cindy gave me, and I thought maybe it's a late announcement or or some message, some gem of great wisdom, maybe. But I want to share it with you, at least I gave. It said, little Emily was complaining that her stomach hurt. Her mom said, that's because it's empty. Maybe you should try putting something in it. The next day, the preacher was at Emily's house for lunch. He mentioned his head hurt. Emily said, that's because it's empty. Maybe you should try putting something in it. (laughs) My hope that as I have an opportunity to continue on in worship, that God will put something in it that will come out to you. Um, God will be far more than what I have that God may work. Talking this morning about a worthy life. Paul, in his style of writing, often followed a specific pattern where he would start out his letters with theology and then move to practicality. He would start out with the doctrine to teach a foundation, and then he would move to duty. He would start out with belief, making sure you have a firm foundation on what is to be believed, and then he would move to behavior. He would start with the vertical view, and then it would move into a horizontal view. It didn't simply stay in the classroom, but entered one's lifestyle and one's heart. I'll give you some examples of this. The book of Romans, wonderful letter to the church at Rome. First 11 chapters dealt with belief, dealt with theology, dealt with doctrine. Then you come to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, verses we all love. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the desires of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing will. Moved from the doctrine to, man, it's time to get the work boots on. Time to put on the bib and the overalls and to put this to work. To be a living sacrifice for God. In the book of Colossians, the first two chapters, Paul is writing and he is dealing with false belief that's spreading throughout the church. It's a belief where the body is totally evil. The Spirit is totally good. And there's an idea that the two are disconnected. And so because of that, the church moved in two different directions. There were those who said no pleasure, nothing that feels good to the body should be delved into, should be indulged because it's wrong, it's evil. And then there were those that said, well, because the body and the Spirit is connected, man, just live it up. Do whatever feels good because you're going to, the body and spirit are going to be disconnected and what's good is going to be with God and the other is just going to disappear. And Paul was writing to them and he was sharing in those first two chapters about Christ. It's about Jesus and how he doesn't disconnect us, but he connects us together. And then he moves into chapter 3, 
verses 1 and 2. And he says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He says, okay guys, put your heart and your mind to work in following Jesus Christ in your everyday life. Then there's the book of Galatians, which is a book that talks about freedom. He spends those first four chapters and he talks about we are free in Jesus Christ and the freedom that Jesus has brought to us, what He has done by the work of the cross, how we're not slaves to following legalistic rules, but how He's brought liberty. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, It reads, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so what he says is, take the freedom that Christ has won for you at Calvary and live it. Live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. He's provided it. Live it. So now we come to the book we are studying. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. We move from doctrine to duty. We move from belief to behavior. We move from the vertical to the horizontal where God speaks to our hearts about a life that's set apart. Titled this message, A Life Worthy, A Worthy Life Before Our Lord. I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 as I read the text and then we move on in the message. As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Lord, we are weak, but you are strong. Lord, we mess up and you fix our messes. We come to you in need of a word from you, Lord. Thank you for allowing us thus far to put our attention upon you. And I pray that continue in the time that remains. Speak to us, Lord, that we might hear from you, God. Bring forth revival into our hearts, God. Father, I just pray you stir us, Lord, and remind us who we are in you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Reminds me, guys, next week, Jason Rowe will be here as he has been praying as he has been seeking God's heart to come and to be used to share the message that we believe God wants us to hear and just continue to encourage us to be in prayer, uh, be ready to be open to who God may want us to invite to be here. Pray that God will do a work among us. Rick Osborne will be here too, uh, leading us in worship through music and should be a wonderful time. If any of you are interested, I had mentioned uh, to Jason, I said some, maybe somebody wants to spend some time with you, maybe take you out to eat. I don't know, but opportunities there while he's here Sunday through Wednesday. Anybody would like to spend some time with him?
But uh, anyway, guys, let's be let's be deeply in for God to move among us. All right, let's get in the message here in the scripture. Paul urges those at Ephesus to live a life worthy of the calling received. That word worthy means to weigh something. It is speaking of equal weight. What he's saying is that calling. When you heard the voice of Jesus Christ, when you realized that you were a sinner, when you were brought face to face with your condition, spiritually impoverished. And then you saw that Jesus died for you. You saw that Jesus provided the only thing God would accept, a sacrifice that was perfect without blemish. When you saw that and when you said yes to Jesus and and you received Him and you received His embrace and you experienced His forgiveness... Guys, it's saying at that moment where that calling entered your life and you were set free, that that's to be balanced out by what happens next. That the calling in you is the calling that should flow through you. It should be of equal weight. It should continue on in the power of God. The power of God that saved you should be the power of God that's working through you to bring forth His kingdom around you. Now, as he moves on here, to those at Ephesus, he describes more in detail what that looks like. Starting at verse 2, he starts out, he says, Be completely humble. This is really difficult because we live in a society that's selfish and self-centered and we all tend to be a me-first generation. But God says, that's not to mark my kids. A life that balances out. The calling is to be like Jesus. And Jesus was humble. Completely humble. He was about others. And about the Father. And that's our call. I mean, you look around and many of those who are in a public forum, many popular speakers and others uh, who are of notoriety, celebrities. They like to hear their own voices and they like to hear their own names and they like to grab up the attention, but that's not to mark us. Matter of fact, in ancient times when this was written, um, it was a slave-like mentality. Uh, when The word humility was uh, not something that was to be sought after. It was disgraceful. Because it was a picture of of being as a slave. It was a picture of having no power, of having no prestige, of having nothing. The kings, the rulers, the emperors, they had the power and they could flaunt it. If they wanted to take your life, if they wanted to torture you, they could do it by just uttering a single word. And that was what was sought after, not the humility, not to be slave-like. And yet, you realize when Jesus describes himself... The only place that that is found is in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Jesus is describing Himself. He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. I'm the one who carries the burden. He describes Himself as being gentle. He describes Himself as being humble. Uh, One man had wrote, Lowliness was much despised in the ancient world. The Greeks never used their word for humility in a context of approval, still less admiration. The crouching submissiveness of a slave is what they meant. Not until Jesus Christ came was the true humility recognized. Only He among the religious ethical leaders set before us the example of a little child. The self-forgetfulness of a child is one of the things we love about them. And then he moves on to this next description. He says, and be gentle. In some translations, it's to be meek. And it's a picture of strength under control. Often, uh, it was thought of in that day of a horse that had to be broken before it could be useful. So that a rider and the horse could cooperate and work together and it not be dangerous. So the picture here is of a quiet strength. Meekness is not weakness. Uh, One guy by the name of J. Upton Dixon had told a friend he was planning on writing a book and he was going to entitle it Cower Power. And in the book he was going to talk about his group called Doormats, which stands for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls if There Are No Objections. Their motto was going to be The Meek Shall Inherit the Earth if that's okay with everybody. And their symbol was going to be the yellow traffic light. Now that's creative. But it's sad to think that some people view gentleness or meekness in this manner. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, He's not talking about doormats. He's not talking about people that are run over by others. He's talking about people who have a strength that doesn't have to run over others. But it's under control. Under the control of God. I love the description here. It says it's the slogan, strong enough to be gentle, shown in Christ. He was submissive, never resisting or disputing the will of God. His absolute trust in the Father enabled him to show compassion, courage, and self-sacrifice, even in the most hostile situation. Now, let's apply this to ourselves. When we're meek, we'll bear insults without lashing out in proud resentment or retaliation. We'll thank God in every circumstance while using every circumstance, good or bad, as an occasion to submit to Him. Meekness would be weakness if it meant yielding to sin, but because it stems from goodness and godliness, it's great strength. That's what he, that's what's to mark us. That, that's when our calling and our lives Measure out, guys, when they balance, when they weigh equal. is to be gentle, is to be meek. Now, look at the next one here. Uh, tolerance or bearing with one another in love. He says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. The picture here is um, to be patient with one another, but it's not what has become the normal definition, I'm afraid, of tolerance in our society, which means everything goes. What matters is simply to believe in something, not that it's right or wrong, but that you really believe in it. And that, man, if you discredit or discount anybody's belief, then you're mean. You're cruel. You're something, a phobic. You have a phobia, a fear. 
But guys, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's what is happening around us. Uh, Dorothy Sayer had this insightful quote that describes today's tolerance I want to share with you. Dorothy writes, she says, In the world it's called tolerance, but in hell it's called despair. The sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. That's the world's description of tolerance. Our description of tolerance is that which is within Christ. It's where there are convictions that stem from the Scripture that are connected to Jesus Christ in the way we live, but that our preferences that have nothing to do with a clear Scripture, but just what I enjoy, do not keep us apart. Do not cause us to fight and argue and to bicker because Jesus holds us together. That's the kind of tolerance that's being discussed here. That our minor differences don't rip us apart, but they become a strength because we're all looking to Jesus. That's the hope. And that's what he talks about next here. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Guys, I think it's significant here that he doesn't say make every effort to create the unity. He doesn't say, all right, Kingsway, we've got to work hard to be unified. I want you guys to be unified together, so work hard on unity. He doesn't say work hard on unity. He says make every effort to keep the unity. You see, you don't create the unity. You step into the unity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Bible scholars. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. Guys, when you come to Jesus, when you're born again, when you're born from above, when you're made a new person, things change, guys. God gets a hold of us and He brings us into the unity. The unity that's already there through everyone that came to Jesus. When God is your Father, you're my brother, you're my sister, and we're a family, and we step together into a unity that walks in a common purpose in coming together for Him. You know, if you have a hundred pianos, but all tuned by the perfect pitch of a tuning fork, those pianos are in perfect tune, not because they're in tune with one another, but because they're in tune of the perfect pitch of that tuning fork. Similarly, when you have a hundred believers, a number of believers together, it is not the unity of one another that makes them close. But it is in being the perfect pitch of Jesus Christ that brings us together. That gives that unity that is supernatural. That is attractive. And that brings others to the truth of God. That's the closer fellowship. And when Jesus is not the focus, guys, that's when we fall apart. Matter of fact, you probably heard this, but I'm going to share it. uh, Talking about terrorists in the church. Listen to this, this is cute. Latest news reports are that five terrorist groups have been operating in our churches. They have been identified as been sleeping, been arguing, been fighting, been complaining, and been missing. Their leader, leader, Osama bin Lucifer, trained these groups to destroy the body of Christ. The plan is to come into the church disguised as Christians and to work within the church to discourage, disrupt, and destroy However, there have been reports of a sixth group, 
A tiny cell known by the name of Ben Praying is actually the only effective counterterrorism force in the church. Unlike other terrorist cells, Ben Praying does not blend in with whoever and whatever comes along. Ben Praying does whatever is needed to uplift and encourage the body of Christ. We've noticed that the Ben Praying cell group has different characteristics than the others. They've been watching, been waiting, been fasting, and been longing for Jesus, their master, to come back. Which cell group do you belong to? And guess what? No church is exempt. However, you can spot them if you've been looking. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the other side of it. Guys, are you connected to Jesus Christ? Have you stepped into the unity? Or has something happened to cause you to step outside of that unity so that you've been pulling people apart instead of together? Is there someone here who's got a loose tongue? And a loose tongue, I listen to a sports show sometimes in the afternoon called The Loose Cannons. And sometimes in churches there are loose cannons. And if you're a loose cannon, you didn't learn that from Jesus. And you didn't learn that from those who love Jesus. You learned it somewhere else. You either learned it from somebody not walking with Jesus, or you learned it from the cesspool of your own sin, but not from Christ. And guys, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be brought forth to Him. That's not His unity. Matter of fact, let's... uh, Go on as, as we look at this and look at his unity here. Beautiful description. Verse 4 One body. Guys, we're together. We're one. One spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that teaches us. He's the one that convicts us. He's the one that walks with us. Just as you were called to one hope, man, that one hope is through Jesus Christ that our home is heaven and that we have escaped the judgment that we deserve because of Calvary. That's our hope. When you were called, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, which is the truth of Jesus Christ, shown forth in this book, carried out through the lives of His people. One baptism. The importance of baptism is it is a way to identify. It's not the mode of baptism. Although we as Baptists believe because the Scripture says to immerse and going all the way under being immersed, I don't want to get into something with the mode of baptism. I'm more interested in the model of baptism. I'm more interested in the fact that when you're baptized, you're saying, Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to live for Him. He's changed me. He's going to work in me. And that's who I want to be like. I want to identify with Jesus Christ. That's what the one baptism is fully about. It's I want to identify with Him, guys. One God and Father of all. Man, if he's my daddy, you're my brother, you're my sister, you see. Who is overall. <laughs> and it's good stuff. It says that's the unity. God's overall. And he's through all. Uh, Cindy Gray gave me a thing yesterday. It was really cute. Share it sometime uh, in church. But it was talking about a little boy and how he was playing outside and how he saw uh, all these great things about nature, you know, playing with a little with uh, insects and all kinds of stuff. And he got talking to this man. The man said, little boy, it looks like you're having a lot of fun. You're learning a lot. He said, yes, sir, I'm learning a lot about God. 
And he said, well, son, if you can tell me where God is, he says, I'll give you a shiny new dime. And the little boy, it ended, he responded back. He said, mister, if you can tell me where God ain't, I'll give you a dollar. God is through all. He is Lord over all. He made this stuff. He's it. And then he closes this section. He says, and in all. Man, it's all about God. That's who we follow, and we follow Him together. Uh, I close with a story by Herring Ironside. One of my favorite little illustrations book I keep in my office and I've used through the years was written by this guy named Harry Ironside who uh, was a pastor in Chicago area for years. And uh, he actually ministered the early part of the 1900s. But Harry, when he was 70 years old, he had been one of those who had managed not to be sick hardly at all. Matter of fact, at 70, he never even had a headache. But he went down to New Mexico one summer, which had been his practice for a couple of summers, and worked with the Laguna Indians for the summer. Afterward, he went up to Minneapolis, Minnesota to do a Bible conference for a week. And there he got sick. He got some kind of toxic bug. And he ended up having to stay in a Christian's home for like six weeks to recover. He desperately wanted to go see his family in California um, to to get back there and uh, at the time. So anyway, he uh, he got on the train, even though he was still pretty sick. And it was all he could do to get to the dining room and back to the area where he was. And he he was so weak, and, and a lot of times during the day he would open the curtain. They had a, they had a curtain in each section where you stayed, and he opened his curtain and he'd look out the window of the train, and uh, often his practice in the morning is he would open his Bible and read from the scriptures, spend some time with God. One morning he opened the scriptures and he he was reading his Bible, and this lady come by. Rather big German lady. She saw him and she said to him, What? You having family worship all by yourself? Wait, I get my Bible and be worship together. In a few minutes she returned with her German Bible and they began comparing their translation of the book of Hebrews and just having a great time together. It wasn't too much longer that another guy came by. And he looked in and, and he said, Ah, reading the Bible? Wait a moment. I think I get mine too and join you with you. And soon he came back with his Norwegian Bible. <laughs> and the two of them sat together and, and, and the three of them, I mean, and they shared from the scriptures talking about the thing of Christ, things of Christ. Then before long, <laughs> a few more came over to join the three. And before Harry knew it, His section was filled with people who wanted to discuss from the book of Hebrews in the Bible. And they had a joyous time together. After about an hour of teaching, he said, Guys, I I need a nap. I'm sorry, but I'm exhausted. So he took a nap. A couple hours later, he woke up, and there was that Norwegian guy. He goes, Look, look, he awake, he awake! And he got him up, and everybody came back for this Bible conference. And, And guys, it was just... Man, they were just having a grand time. It ended up being a Bible conference. was started just by reading your Bible. Christians from different countries together sharing. Uh, there was an excitement 
And when it came time to say goodbye, well, there was a real letdown because they had become close by studying the Scriptures together and by talking about Jesus, how He is the priest who died for my sins, how He is the one who intercedes for me, how He is my hope, how He is my life. And uh, just a great time. And so this German lady, when it was time to go, she, she asked Harry. She said, Brother, to what denomination do you belong? With a twinkle in his eyes, Harry said, I belong to the same denomination that David did. That was that, she inquired. I did not know he belonged to any. David says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and keep thy precepts. Yeah, yeah, that is a vain denomination to belong to. (laughs) Amen, it is. To belong to those who fear and love Jesus and keep his commands. The unity of the faith, not to create it, but to step into it and let God work. Man, there is no greater witness to a community that has lost its way because of sin and doesn't know the answers than to see a group of people who are together, who love each other, who are living for Jesus and who aren't fussing and feuding and fighting, but who really care about each other. What a great witness. And it's what God calls us to, not to create, but simply to step into. And that's my heart. Um... For us, we talk about being revived. It doesn't mean we create something brand new. It means we step into what's already there. That those of us who have Jesus living inside, we need to let Him out. We need to deal with our mess so that the Spirit of God will no longer be grieved or quenched, but free to move through us. That's my hope. And uh, going to have a word of prayer, a time to respond. Maybe God's spoken to you to come to the altar, to come before His people with a decision to be made. Um, guys, we just want to be obedient. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank You for an opportunity to open up Your Word, to examine Your truth. And I just pray that You, would, that you have spoken far beyond anything I've said. And that your word has come alive to us. And that we might respond. Lord, I'm hungry to see you change lives, including mine. So Lord, just do that. In this time, that's our plea. In your name we pray. Amen.